Welcome to New Life, everybody. Come on, seriously. Is anybody excited to be here today? Man, I know, I know it's stinking cold out, all right? So whether you're in North Platte or you're here at the Kearney campus, you just need to high-five someone and say, we made it out to church on the coldest day of the year so far. Come on. You guys are troopers, all right? You guys should be rewarded. Hopefully you're sitting next to someone that creates warmth and you don't get a cold shoulder. There's a lot that you do in creating cold shoulders. You realize that, right? So it's a good moment to snuggle up next to someone you love, right? Now, hey, if you're in a dating relationship, right? If you're a junior hire in here, you don't even follow those words. You got me? All right. Snuggle up to someone that you're married to. That's what I meant to say. Okay. Um, hey, listen, my name's Jeff. Glad to have you guys here with us. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Today, you're sitting in one of our four worship services. You're in actually one of three worship auditoriums that we have live right now. Uh, You're either here at our main auditorium or you're worshiping with us down in the venue. I want to say hello to all of you that are in the venue. I want to also say hello to everyone that's worshiping with us from North Platte. We're excited to be one church in multiple locations. Uh, It's a very unique uh, aspect to church. I got it. And so if you don't understand it, it's cool that you don't understand how it all works. But it does And it's our way of uh, preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, so that many can hear, not just the few. Uh, So we've got campus pastors in each of our locations. We have live worship that happens at each of our locations. And then the sermon right now is streamed live onto large HD screens that drop to the stage. It looks like I'm actually standing on the stage. Um, unless I walk out of the shot, and then it's kind of really weird. So I'm going to be staying here in the shot because we've got something to tackle today. We've got 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. If you've got a Bible, you're going to want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. We've been using uh, this passage of Scripture. Today is week three of our teaching series. There's only four weeks. We've got one more week left with it. And then the last week of this month, we've got a very, very special Sunday plan for you. We've got our young adult uh, our young adult missions team back from the Ivory Coast. They're going to be sharing with us about how they planted the first of 1,000 churches that are going to be planted over the next five years in the Ivory Coast. We, were the, we, were, we planted the first one of this historic movement that's taking place um, in this particular country. And so it's exciting. You're going to be hearing from them. You're hearing their testimonies, hearing the story about what God's doing around the world and how you and me are a part of it. It's going to be exciting. You're going to want to mark your calendars for the next two weeks the end, the wrap-up of the End of Days teaching series, and then the Ivory Coast uh, uh, service. It's going to be awesome. So please make sure you got those things written down. The End of Days. You know, it's something that a lot of people are focused on, right? It's something that there's a lot of intrigue about. I was sitting at home last night flipping through the channels, and I got caught watching the History Channel, right? The seven signs that it's the end of times, right? And then after that, it's like Nostradamus, the the new revelations. And so I get caught up in watching that kind of stuff, especially in light of the fact that we're in this teaching series, End of Days. There's a high intrigue about it. That's why we wanted to tackle it. Now, if you want to know more about this teaching series, please go to mynewlifechurch.com where you can click on watch now and you can see the archived sermons from week one and week two. It's going to be very important for you to understand the flow of this teaching series because in week one, I gave you a very clear definition, a biblical definition of what the end of days is 
like what the time period is. Are we in it or are we not? You need to go and listen to it to find out all the details. But I can tell you this, based on God's word, we are in the end of days, but it started, it started moments after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And the end of days will finally come to their conclusion the day that Jesus comes back. So you and me live in what the Bible refers to as the last days or the end of days. And then there's all types of scripture that talk about all kinds of crazy things and those shows I was talking about, trying to discern, you know, what's really going on. And I just decided to come to you as a pastor and say this. Let me just tell you something I can tell you with concrete assurance. I can look at God's word and I can see what the character of man will be like at the end of days. God's word doesn't beat around the bush on this issue. It comes right out and it just flat out tells you what, God, what the heart of man will be like at the end of days. And I'm using this biblical text in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 to then help us understand, okay, in light of that, how should we live? In light of it, how should we be a people like, our, like our, the graphic of our teaching series? How should we look like the one red umbrella in the midst of all the black? How should we be a Christian that stands out with the right image and with the right cause? And not be, be someone that's out there causing more damage, but yet someone out there that's proclaiming the good news of Christ. And so I wanted to help us with that. I wanted to bring us to a point where we wrestled with and sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit on maybe where we're living more of man's character than we are living a Christ character and not even realize it. And so that's okay. Today, if you sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you recognize something that, that happens today where you go, you know what? I, I'm living more like man in man's world that I'm living like God and living like Christ. That's okay. That's a good thing, by the way, because conviction opens our eyes up to the way we're living so that we can adjust it. Conviction is a part of God's grace for our life. It's okay to feel that way, all right? So in reading and preparing for this teaching series, man, I, I obviously part of what I do, I have to read a lot. I study a lot. I have to, you know, read uh, different articles and commentaries and especially reading God's word. And I, but I came across this, uh, this story, somewhat really of a joke of, uh, of these two pastors. And, uh, it, and it, it had this end times uh, feel to it. And so I thought that you might like it. Anybody want a little story really quick? Anybody? Okay, you want a story? Uh, how many, anybody like a joke? Anybody like jokes? Okay, all right. Okay, here's how it goes, all right? A priest and a pastor. And all good jokes start that way, by the way. All right, all right. So there's this priest and this pastor, all right? But all right, priest and a pastor, they're standing by the side of the road, holding up a sign that reads this. The end is near. Turn around now before it's too late. Now, their plan was to hold up this sign. The end is near. Turn around now before it's too late. They were, their plan was to stand there and to show this to every car that drove by that day. Well, the first person to drive by comes racing up quick, slows down, rolls their window down, looks at the pastor and the priest holding their signs. The end is near. Turn around now, right, before it's too late. And the guy yells out at the pastor and he goes, stop preaching at us, pastor. Go back to your church if you want to preach. You know, you guys are, you guys are ridiculous. Get out of my way, you religious freaks. And he rolls his window up and he slams the gas on and he burns out his tires and he takes off down the road and down around the corner. And after he gets down around the road and down around the corner, the the two pastors are standing there and they hear this screeching of tires and the slamming on of brakes and they hear this boom, crash. And then the two pastors look at each other and they said to themselves, you think maybe we should be holding up a sign that says bridge out instead? Get it? End is near. 
Turn around now, I still can. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll leave that in my notes then. Maybe we'll preach that again someday. Who knows? Thankfully, I don't have to erase that one. So, I mean, when you think of the end, the end of days, you do. You get this picture of, you know, somebody standing on the side of a road. End of days, turn or burn. Let me just tell you this. The type of person that we need to be at the end of days is really truly described to us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It doesn't require us to hold up a sign that says turn or burn. The end is near, you know, change your ways. It requires you and me to live a true Christ-centered character. People are already watching. You don't have to hold up a sign. People are already observing, you know, what, what church do you go to? What, what, what's your affiliation? Do you, do you associate yourself with other Christians? Just by being here today, people are, people are going to pay attention. So we don't have to hold up a sign. You are a walking billboard, and people are getting all the message they need by the way we live. So are we living the character of Christ at the end of days? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 is going to be our key verse. Would you please join with me? as uh, maybe we just read this together, okay? Here we go. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Now this verse, verse four, in this sequence of verses, we're gonna end on verse five next week, is talking about the character of man. So the character of man at the end of days will be someone who does what first? They betray their friends. They betray their friends. So here's here's the way you and me need to live in light of that. We need to learn how to live loyal. Live loyal. That's what the big big message right off the bat, if you want to have a Christ-centered character versus a man-centered character, is you got to learn how to live loyal. Remember? Just to highlight the verse and leave it up there for a second. You've got the first part of the verse that says, that we, they, they live, they will betray their friends. That's all we need. It's just that piece. They will betray their friends. That's it. That's all we need. Right? So it says, it, if that's the way man's going to live, how should a Christ-centered person live? They should live not betraying their friends, which would be loyal. It, it, do you guys remember back to junior high and high school? You remember back when, um, you know, when you, you got dumped by that girlfriend or that boyfriend that you really loved? Remember that? H- how did it feel? Felt amazing, didn't it? Oh, man. I mean, you, you were so in love. You said to them when you were a freshman, you wrote the nice little note, you know, in the nice little card, and you made your own little teddy bear and sewed it all up, and you've never done that before in your life. It was the ugliest teddy bear ever, but you did it. It was made out of love with your own hands, and you wrote the note, and you were like, I can't see myself being with anyone else but you for the rest of my life. And that was the guy's voice. You know, you know, you remember what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and then you get the, you get that ominous phone call out of the blue, or you get the nice little note on the thing where you had to put your fingers up in it and go in and out, in and out. You remember, remember those things? And it was like, you opened it and it was like, I don't want to be with you anymore. I hate your guts. And you're like, no, I loved you. How can my life go on from here? Right? You remember what it felt like? Maybe, maybe you let someone get close to you. We all have had people get close to us and then they hurt us. The betrayal of a friend leaves wounds 
that literally can last a lifetime. I guarantee you, if you've been betrayed, you, you despise it. Just like you despise, and you're not even the president of the United States, but just like you despise another American who spies on America for some other country. That, that treason is a form of betrayal. I, I hate it when I hear that kind of stuff on the news. Or when one American sells secrets to another country. I mean, man, it just gets at the core of me. Like, how can you, how can you betray us in that way? Or a soldier who turns his back on his other soldiers in the midst of battle and, you know, lives his life for the enemy and his cause. I mean, it just, it gets underneath my skin. And so I know, man, and you know, we've all felt betrayal in some sense or another. But when this is written, this is really written about Christians who are going to end up betraying other Christians. And throughout history, we've seen this take place. And in the day and age in which you and me live, the moment will ever increase where one Christian might turn against another and turn them over because the heat of being a Christian, the the persecution of being a Christian will get stronger and stronger even in the days in which you and me live. I mean, when you think about betrayal and you think about Christianity, you, you, you have to go to Judas. Judas betrays Jesus. I mean, you and me sit here today and we're like, how does a guy like Judas betray Jesus? I mean, he walked with Jesus. You're sitting here right now because of Jesus. You sacrificed to come out of your warm home into five degrees that feels more like 20 degrees below zero because of Jesus. How can this dude who walked with Jesus betray him for 30 silver coins? See, I think that because of the evidence of what I see in scripture, that Judas goes on to hang himself, I'm not sure that he even realized his, his level of betrayal. I don't think he realized that his betrayal was going to end in the death of his own savior. And if that's the case, then in the end of days, betrayal in our hearts towards others, this character of man could easily be going on inside of your heart and not even recognize it. That, that will bring destruction. That'll bring death, that'll bring pain, and that'll bring hurt. That's the character of man. The character of Christ lives loyal. Jesus said this about the end of days in Matthew chapter 24. He said that at that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate each other. At what time? At the end of days. So how then should we live? How can we live loyal? That's probably a better question. How can we live loyal? You, gotta, you have to live by bold, Christ-centered convictions. You have to have beliefs that turn into convictions. We're in the middle of the political scene right now. How, how many of you guys have heard one politician say, I believe this, and then 30 days later, no, I believe this. You watch them change all the time, right? Why do they change? They change because they run the polling numbers and they decide that, hey, America really wants you to, wants you to say these things. Americans really want you to believe these things. So they'll change the, what they believe to fit you and me and you and me get frustrated by it and we see right through it, right? And we're like, I would never be like that. Well, in our Christianity, one of the things that you got to realize is this, for a, for a belief to become something that alters your life, a belief has to become a conviction, And a conviction then becomes something that you're willing to die for. 
How does a belief alter your life so that you can be loyal and not turn from it? It has to become a conviction, and a conviction then has to become something you're willing to die for. If it's something you're willing to die for, then 30 days down the road, you're not going to change it. If the heat of life gets turned up, it's not going to change it. So you got to be really careful. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to live by a conviction. It's one thing to believe a truth. It's another thing to let that truth get into your heart and change the way that you think, you live, and you act. That's belief turning into conviction. Convictions then need to become things you're willing to die for. One of the things we need to be careful of today is this. Certain things that we believe, we let become convictions, and they turn into weapons that we kill others with. As an example, not in this, not in this church, but you know, back in the day when I grew up, if I were to show up to church like this, in my jeans, in my untucked shirt, which you guys give me trouble for all the time, and I appreciate it, thank you, my untucked shirt with my nice little sweater, someone would be looking down at me because I'm not in my suit. That would be a belief that turned into a conviction that became a weapon. Certain things are just not worth dying for. Things like what I'm talking about. Styles of music in worship, not worth dying for. Right? So the way that we do church many times is not worth dying for. But who we're worshiping is worth dying for. So it's the core beliefs that need to turn into convictions that become the things that you would say today. Those are worth dying for. They'll never change. That's where loyalty comes from. Loyalty comes from convictions that you're worth, that are worth dying for. What convictions do you have right now that are worth dying for? Right? Like, if you had to list them, if you had to write them down on a piece of paper today and lay them down on this altar, what would they look like? What would be those convictions that doesn't matter who says what or who does what to you, nothing's going to shake you from that conviction. If it leads all the way to death, it's going to take you there. That needs to be first and foremost centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. Biblical beliefs that become convictions worth dying for. Today, maybe you feel like, man, you know, I've been betrayed. I know, Jeff, I feel the pain right now of the betrayal that's happened to me recently, or maybe it's happened within the past few years. What should you do with that feeling of betrayal that you're living with right now? Because if you don't do something with it, most likely the betrayal that, and the pain that happened to you, you could easily turn around and do the same thing to someone else. That pain will corrode and corrupt you. What should you do with it? Second Corinthians has something to say about it. It says this, God, he, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are in trouble. We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. What should you do with the betrayal that you feel right now? Come to God this morning. Open your heart up. If you've got to put your hands out before him to say, God, the pain and the hurt that has come from letting someone get close to me that burnt me and hurt me, I'm going to bring that to you because I need your comfort. It's only when you come to God, you humble yourself, and you seek his comfort that then you can become part of his solution. Part of God's solution is so that you can go and extend that comfort to who? Others. See, what the enemy meant for, for bad but the enemy meant to kill, steal, and destroy in your life when he brought that betrayal from a close friend, you let that thing get turned around and get used as a weapon against him and as an agent of love for others. 
Many times out of our greatest scars and out of our greatest pain comes our greatest ministry. Out of your greatest pain and your greatest scars is where you're going to find the deepest level of love, grace, and compassion to be able to share towards others. But it will never happen unless you first run to God and you say, God, I need your comfort in this area. And you let God comfort you. You let God direct you. And then you become part of his solution to others. So first thing we need to do if we're going to live different than the character of man in the end of days in which we live is we got to start learning how to live more loyal to God first and then to others. Are you with me so far? All right, the second thing is this. Second thing would be this. We got to live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, going back to verse 4 again. Let me just read a little bit farther. It says that they will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up even with pride. To be reckless. Some, some other versions of the Bible would say this. To be headstrong. Or, you know, instead of making decisions puffed up with pride, to make rash decisions. So this is defining a group of people that are making decisions based on the moment and how they feel now, instead of taking into consideration what the decision is going to do now and how it's going to affect their future. And a lot of times I, I watch us as Americans, I watch us as people, we make decisions based on how I feel now. We don't make decisions based on what it's going to mean five years from now, 10 years from now. We just make decisions based on how I feel now. Well, listen, Pastor Jeff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce my wife. Why? Well, because, I mean, I just don't feel like I'm in love with her anymore. Yeah, but do you realize your kids are like three, four, and five? What's going to happen to them when they're 10, 11, and 12? But we don't think about those things. You know, I'm just going to quit my job. Yeah, well, why are you going to quit your job? Well, I just, don't, I, I, just don't like, I just don't like the boss. The boss is just, you know, he's too tough on me. Yeah, well, well, you got anything else lined up? I got, you know, I got nothing else lined up. I'm just going to quit this because it just doesn't feel good anymore. We make decisions, rash decisions. We make decisions out of our pride. We make decisions that are reckless many times because we get headstrong about it. That's the character of man. That's not the character of God. If you aspire to be a leader, or if you have been a leader, then you would know that leaders have to make quick decisions sometimes. So if you've ever been a leader over anything and you've been bombarded to make quick decisions like I have, there's many times when you've got, you made a decision, you made it quick, you got too confident in yourself, right? You got, you got too, too, too thinking about the moment and you make the decision only to find out two days, two weeks, two months or a year from now, what a horrible decision that was. And now the price of that decision. If you've ever been a leader, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it doesn't feel good. It's not the kind of thing that just makes you go, wow, that was really good. Glad I'm a leader. It hurts and it hurts others. So what would cause people to live reckless? I don't think people intentionally want to live reckless. What would cause people to make decisions puffed up with pride? What would cause them to be blinded to that? Well, the book of Jude, I think, speaks to this issue and gives us a little bit of a better understanding of what would cause a group of people to become reckless and puffed up with pride in making their own decisions. Take a look at what it says. So that they said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. When you make foolish decisions, reckless decisions, that causes divisions. It causes a group of people to get hurt and wounded, and they end up on one side versing another one. These, be- these people become worldly people. They become man-centered people instead of Christ-centered people. But what? Here's the biggest thing. They are what? Devoid of the Spirit. 
The key reason of why you and me live reckless and we become more like man character than Christ-centered character is when, we're, when we feel this devoid aspect of God's spirit. When we're living headstrong without God's spirit. See, you're made up of a few pieces and parts. Your body, just that fleshly piece of you. You're made up of your soul, which, te- which is typically your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, will, and emotions. And then lastly, it's where, it's where God's spirit dwells inside of you. Now, this mind, will, and emotions, let me just tell you something. The mind, will, and emotions want their way, and they want their way all the time. But if you just live by your mind, you just live by your emotions, and you just live by your will, let me just tell you something. You're probably not sitting here right now. And if you are, you're not sitting here for long. If Jeff Baker, your pastor, if he lives by his own mind, his own will, and his own emotions, I'm probably not your pastor very long. I can do it for a while, but I can't do it for the long haul. You can try to be a good person, but you can't do it for the long haul. You and me, devoid of God's spirit, are reckless. Devoid of God's spirit, we're puffed up with pride and we make foolish decisions that cause division and hurt other people. So what you and me have to do is we've got to learn how to live by God's spirit. We need like what, the, what the, uh, John the Baptist said about Jesus. This is the attitude we need to have with God's spirit. John said that he must become greater. Who is he? Jesus. Jesus must become greater and I, John the Baptist, must become less. Let me say to you today, if we're going to not be reckless and live by man's set of rules and start living by God's set of rules, start living by the spirit so we can make wise decisions, we're going to have to be full of God's spirit and we're going to have the same heart as John the Baptist. I must decrease so that God's spirit can increase. So this is a pretty simple, pretty simple application. When was the last time you came before God and said, God, I need the wisdom of your spirit right now? When was the last time? I just want you to think about that. Because if it hasn't been within the last 24, 48 hours, it it hasn't been often enough. There's little things. This reckless decision-making, we're not talking about big decisions. What, should I buy this house? Should I go into debt for this? Should we? We're talking about everyday decisions. Because remember, you make everyday decisions. You make a lot of them, and they all add up. You make, you make too many you know, man-centered, worldly decisions, and they end up tipping the scale, and they cause hurt and pain to others. Just one decision can do that. One. So one of the things that you and me need to live by is we need to live knowing that God's Spirit is greater than my soul. And that God's Spirit is, should be the filter for my soul. That when my mind starts conjuring up all of its thoughts and its ideas, what's going to keep it in check? Nothing on this earth, only God's spirit. So when my mind, Jeff Baker's mind starts racing and I start coming up with these crazy ideas, the moments that I've acted out on them before taking time to pray and discuss and to you know, try to discern what God's spirit is saying, those are the moments that I wish I could go back and grab those things and pull them back to me. But the times when I've stopped and I said, God, if this, is, if this is a thought that you want me to run with, open the door or otherwise close it for me. If this emotion that I have right now is right, God, help me to live it out in a way that doesn't bring hurt and pain to others. But God, if it's not, help me to surrender it to you. Coming to God and saying, God, I need you. I need your spirit to be in charge of my life right now. 
When was the last time that we said that? These are the types of things we need to be saying daily. We also need to be saying daily to God, God, fill me with your spirit today so I can accomplish your will and not my will. This is something that you should, this is the kind of prayers we pray daily. God, fill me with your spirit so I can accomplish your will. Ask God often to help you quiet your soul so that you can listen to his spirit. If your mind, will, and emotions is anything like mine, they are racing all the time. They're doing their own little show inside of me. You know, it would be a good thing to get tickets to. It might be humorous at times. Could be crazy. You might not even want to come to the show at other times. Because sometimes, I'm just telling you, my mind, will, and emotions can think up some pretty wicked, nasty things. Just like yours. That's why, without God's Spirit, I don't stand with you today. So what do I need? God, quiet my soul right now because, man, right now I am torqued. Not now. But you know what I'm saying. Like in a situation, man, you could just be raging on the inside. God, quiet my soul. Quiet my emotions so I can hear your spirit because right now, if I act out right now, it's going to be like a ticking time bomb. Quiet, God, so I can hear your spirit. Lastly, maybe pray continuously because <laughs> this is sometimes how I have to pray. Pray continuously. For God to uh, say, God, I want to submit my soul to your spirit. That's key verbiage right there. God, I want to submit my soul to your spirit. What are we really saying? God, I want to submit my thoughts to your thoughts. I want to submit my ways to your ways. Right? I want to submit my feelings to your feelings. And why do I say that's continuous? Because one of the things that I've learned about my own personal life is that, there, that disciplining the soul to say, I'm not going to live by my own mind, my own will, my own emotions. I want to live by God's spirit. It's like going to the gym. It's a muscle that you have to exercise, and you have to exercise it often. You don't get in shape by going to the gym once a year. You don't get in shape by going to the gym once a week. I wish you could, and if you find out how, let me know. Right? You, you get in shape by when you discipline a muscle over and over and over and over and over again. You discipline it into shape. Guess what you got to do spiritually? You got to discipline your soul into shape so that the spirit becomes stronger. And the soul, let me just tell you something, man. Your mind, will, and emotions, it wants to get out and rule. Because in and of itself, it's wicked and vile and evil. It wants to get out there and do its thing. The secret, the secret to living by the Spirit is first recognizing, God, your Spirit's greater. And then secondly, walk, trying to walk a little bit more tomorrow in obedience to him than you did today. And then the next day, a little bit more. And the next day, a little bit more. And when you fall on your face, you get back up and you say, God, I want to live by your spirit, not my soul. Help me to be disciplined in that manner. God, I give you the authority. Speak to me whenever, you, whenever God. You watch my soul. But God, I'm going to watch my soul. And I'm going to bring my soul under submission to you by just simply acknowledging right now, left to me, I cause destruction. But God, I surrender to you. This is important, guys. Because left you left without the void of God's spirit, you're going to be reckless, cause a lot of pain in your decision making. At the end of days, we need to live by God's spirit. Lastly, last but definitely not least, and probably even the most important thing I'm going to bring to you today is this. If you, if you want to follow this scripture, then we're going to have to live for God's pleasure. It might sound really good and it might sound very simple, but hear me out on this. Take a look at 2 Timothy 
Take a look at our scripture again. And it ends with that the people will become what? They'll love pleasure rather than loving God. Now, you and me are in the same boat here, right? We're all Americans. Uh, we, we live in a very blessed nation right now. Uh, we live in a very blessed economy in many ways. We have an abundance of almost everything. Even if you live in what would be called a government status of poverty, you still are considered amongst the wealthiest on the planet. We have an abundance. Praise God. I thank God for that. Right? But in that, in, in that fullness, it causes us to actually maybe accidentally, unintentionally become lovers of pleasure. So let me just be a deep theologian for you for a moment. When, the, when that scripture said they will love pleasure more than loving God, let me just tell you what it means. You ready for this? If you've got a pen, you're going to want to write this down. Right? It's deep, though. It means this. They'll love pleasure. I mean, it's, it's profound. Did you get it? They'll just love pleasure. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have some secret meaning in it. It's very, it's very like straightforward. It's very much in our face. And we as Americans, we're going to have to wrestle with this. Loving pleasure. Right? And the, the, problem, the problem with this is this. When we love pleasure too much, when we live for the pleasure of this earth, it blinds us to the love and the purpose of God. That's, that's the Achilles heel of it. We literally, it's like putting blinders on your eyes and blinding you so you cannot see the love and the purpose of God because your eyes literally get focused in a whole different place. Let me give you the evidence of the fact that we live in a nation where loving pleasure, and we live in a Christianity where loving pleasure is binding us up in sin, and it's causing us to be corrupt, and it's causing us to be people that live more like man than, than like Christ. Let me just give you some examples of what I mean of why I can see this at work. First off, the example would be this. We value time now more than we value money. The average American values time even more than they value money. Now, we've got to have money to pay our bills. But if asked between the two, which more important, which one's more valuable? Time. But it's not, I want more time so that I can invest into God's kingdom. It's not because I want more time so I can go on a missions trip. It's not because of those things. It's, I want more time for who? Me. Me. I need more time for me. Another example, retirement today. Retirement is an ever-increasing uh, issue that has an unrealistic expectation for many. It has this picture of people all retiring early that have all of these things more than they could ever dream and or imagine. Oh, and by the way, retiring super early. It's beautiful. It's an amazing picture. What is it, what's the retirement about, though? So that, we, so that we can you know, get more free to serve God, get more free to make an impact for God, get more free to figure out how to volunteer and serve more? No, it's so that I can live life for who? Me. Look at the average American and watch the debt continue to increase. One of the reasons why there's an ever-increasing amount of debt is because of our lust for pleasure. We can't get enough of it, so we have to go in debt to get more of it. These are just three simple examples but the spiritual impact of it is this. It's creating a kingdom of self. It's creating a kingdom of self where everything I have, I'm a consumer of, including the gospel. That's a mindset of a man-centered Christianity than it is a Christ-centered Christianity. 
Philippians 3.19 says this about it, that they are headed for destruction. This mindset of person. That they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. That's a very pleasure-seeking type of a lifestyle. When we're only thinking about this life here on earth, it blinds us to God and it blinds us to his purpose and to his ways. You see how easy this love for pleasure can creep in and then before you know it, it basically has, it's basically, you know, immobilized you, demobilized you from making any kind of impact for the kingdom because your resources and your effort and your love is focused on something of this earth more than focused on something of making an impact for God and for his kingdom. Did you realize in a recent um, Barna report that I read, uh, that I heard actually preached, said that 80% of Americans know a Christian. All right, follow me? 80% of Americans know a Christian. But of those 80% that know a Christian, they said only 15% of them said that that Christian actually lives different than the world. Wow. There's a lot of people. 80% of our country knows another Christian, but only 15% of them would actually say that the Christian they know lives different than the world. One of the key reasons of why Christianity is being diluted to look more like a man-centered theology than a Christ-centered theology is our lust and love for the pleasure. So it's not wrong to have good things. It's not, it's not even bad to desire good things. However, it is a problem when it blinds us to the love and to the purpose of God. Here's three quick questions that I want you to consider asking yourself to see whether you, you find yourself more loving pleasure than loving God. Three quick questions that you can just kind of ask yourself for an evaluation and you can take before God in an attitude of prayer. First question would be this. God, is my current love for pleasure blinding me from receiving the fullness of your love? So, Lord, is my current love for pleasure, is it blinding me from receiving the fullness of your love? Like, if I've, have I settled on 50% of your love because I'm, making, I'm trying to make up the other 50% with my own worldly pleasure, basically? How many of us are living that way? Trying to make ourselves happy, and then we let God kind of, mm, you take care of the rest. Instead of God, you take 100%, right? And I'm gonna thank you for everything else that you give me on top of that. How about the second question? To kind of know whether you're being blinded by the love of pleasure, God is my current love for pleasure, they all start that way, is my current love for pleasure getting in the way of me loving others for you? Like, is my love of pleasure taken so much of me that I think so much about me and my needs and my desires that I, I'm not loving others in the way that you want me to? It'd be a detriment. But it's happening. It's happening right here inside of this room. It's happening in the North Platte. It's happening down in the venue. It's just kind of creeped into all of us. It's part of our culture. It's become part of the mindset. It's almost something that's justifiable for us as Americans. But if it's affecting, if it's affecting our ability to love others for God, then it's got to go. It's got to go. Last question would be this. It's a powerful question. God, is my current love for pleasure, is it hindering me from serving you to my maximum capacity? Is my current love for pleasure hindering me from being a servant to you, maximizing my capacity? And you know what? It was that question, as I was praying and writing this sermon, that question brought me to my knees. God, 
my love. This guy standing before you, my love for pleasure causes me at times not to be maximized to serve you. I get selfish. Life gets about me. Life gets about my needs. Life gets about my wants. If it happens in my heart, I know it happens in your hearts. It doesn't make you a wicked, vile, bad person. That's not what it is. It just is a conviction that says, Jeff, which one do you want? Do you want to live by man's character or do you want to live by Christ's character? And I'm standing before you saying, those are the types of things I want to repent of because I want to live according to a Christ-centered character, not a man-centered character at the end of, the, at the end of days. Are you with me? But you've got to humble yourself. When you sense God's Spirit speaking to you, it's the time to move. Because Proverbs says this about the passage we've been dealing with today in this whole attitude. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death, guys. Our world might be saying, this is right, this is right. Self-pleasure, you know, lover of, of these things and lover of this time and lover of this issue and lover of whatever. Self, 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 kingdom of self. They might be saying that, but in the end it leads to death. What leads to life? Humbling ourselves before God and submitting ourselves and saying, God, I want to be a lover of you. I want to live to bring you pleasure. I want to live for God's pleasure. Are you with me today? All right. So let's learn. Let's come before God today and say, God, what are you saying to me? Is it about living more loyal? Good. I'm going to come. I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to pray on these next few moments and let you have your way. Maybe it's about God. You know, you're challenging me to live more by the spirit. Good. Then respond to God however you need to. Come to the altars and any of our auditoriums. Spend some time in worship going, God, I want your spirit to lead me. But if it's about living, right, for God's pleasure, then come, come, lay down, lay down your pleasure. Lay down your heart. Lay down your attitude and say, God, you know, fill me with a desire to live to please you first before I live to try to please me. Why don't you stand with me today? Let's come before God and let's, let's go after God. Grab a holding of God to get a Christ-centered character versus just a man-centered character in these end of days. Let's pray. Father, we're going to take these next few moments to worship you. We're going to spend these next few moments in pursuit of you so that, Lord, you could eradicate from us the lies that this world has brought and maybe seeped into our heart and into our minds but we want to we humble ourselves, we want to quiet our soul, and we want to listen to your spirit today. We want you, God, to have your way in us. That's why we've come here. Lord, we, we stepped out of the warmth of our home to the coldness of a car, drove here, walked across cold parking lots to get into this, into this place in Kearney and into our auditorium in North Platte. Lord, I'm so proud of these people that are here today. Proud of them. They didn't have to do that. Lord, your spirit is the one who drew them to this place. Now, it's our responsibility to quiet ourselves and to continue to seek you. It's also our responsibility to humble ourselves and repent as we sense your conviction in our hearts so that, Lord, you might become greater and I might become less at these end of days. In Jesus' name, amen.